Well, good morning. It is so wonderful to be here. And uh, before I forget, Susan is sitting right over here. You'll want to say hi to her. It is so nice to be home. I got to tell you, when we came back from Papua New Guinea, we were uh, at the very uh, end of July there. We landed in L.A. And then we got a car, bought a car, and then went on a whirlwind trip up through Idaho, spent our first 4,000, put our first 4,000-something miles on the car. And it has been a blur ever since. And then another 4,000-mile circuit through Texas. And now, as we were coming up just just, uh, yesterday, coming up from, uh, well, through Yarnell, the back way up here to Prescott from L.A. area, there's such a sense of, like, it's so cool to be home. <laughs> and it is so wonderful to be back here at Cornerstone. It is so fun to be with you. Thank you for your warm welcome. It is, there's nothing like coming home. You've been part of this venture ever since the very beginning days. And so it's just awesome to be able to come back and tell you the story of what the Lord has been doing over there in Papua New Guinea. Hold on one second here. All right, that looks right, but this doesn't look the same. Okay. Hmm. That's the problem of living in the jungle. You come back and everything's different, huh? <laughs> that looks good. Here we are. All right. Praise the Lord. Um, I'd love to introduce you to my family, but they're not there yet. Oh, there we are. All right. We'll go back to the left. There. Um, Susan's over here, McKenna, my youngest, seven-year-old, she's upstairs somewhere in the child program, you want to meet her, she'll uh, talk your ear off though, get ready, she's got lots of stories to tell from Papua New Guinea, and uh, my oldest, my son Micah, I want to just, uh, I wish I could introduce you to my family, but they're kind of spread out now, he's, he was in Texas, uh, graduated from the Army's medical training program last month, so we got to see that. And then he went to Fort Benning, Georgia, where he's been, still is right now. Just finished up his airborne training, jumping out of airplanes. I'm a little jealous. <laughs> that sounds like fun. He just finished that, and he's going to be trying. He's hoping to be a ranger, so he's going into the RASP program next. That's Micah. Then my daughter, Michaela, she's at Biola University in the pre-med track, hoping to become a missionary doctor someday. Isn't that awesome? Praise the Lord. Very And I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but Cornerstone has been part of helping her with her Biola education also. It's just a joy. So she's graduating from the pre-med program next month, the 18th. And then we're going to all get in the car again and head over to Florida where Susan's parents are living and uh, join them for their 50th wedding anniversary. So that's going to be special too. Lots of driving, whirlwind trip. I wish we could have been right here in Prescott for this six months, but it has flown by. And next furlough, hopefully we can spend time with you, our family, longer. So that's the introduction to my family. It was a few years ago, that, um, 1996 I think it was, where we left Prescott for the first time with this idea. The Lord had put in our hearts this idea of taking the message of the cross to a place it's never been before. And I hope... I hope Bar- uh, Clovis was just saying we're the, the family that has uh, been sent from this church and we feel so blessed to be that way, but I hope we're not the last. The first but not the last, right? We're looking for others that God will impassion for this idea of taking the message of the cross to a place it's never been. So we left here. New Tribes Mission has great programming. Went through a few hiccups in that process, but eventually ended up in Papua New Guinea because that country has over 700 different language groups. 
And of those seven to 800 different language groups, many of them have been asking for missionaries for years and years. So when we landed in New Guinea, we started hearing about the Hewa people. They'd been asking for missionaries for seven or eight years. We flew out there, introduced to them. They said, we, want, we know we're living in the darkness of the jungle, and we want you to bring us the message of the light. How's that for an introduction? There were a few uh, misconceptions. I'll tell you about that in just a minute here. But we joined with another family, uh, the Copleys, and we got started out there building our house. And praise the Lord for the teams, the short-term teams that came over to help us. I know you guys are doing awesome work in Africa. But if anybody is interested in coming to New Guinea, come see me because we've got lots of projects to go on. They built our house. They helped us clear trees. We built a runway and airstrip out there. Volunteers did, not me. I helped. In that whole time, we were trying to develop relationships with these people. But their language is different. have to learn their language, not just their language, but their culture. Because the way they think is different. Completely different than the way we as Westerners think. So we were trying to figure out what makes them tick. Studying, getting to know them. It took four years to get to the fluency level where we could start translating the Bible. I want to fast forward just a second here. This is the Bible we've been working on. But this is not... The Coff's Bible, this is the Lord's Bible, of course, right? But this is a result of you. Thank you for investing in the Hewa venture so that they can have a Bible in their own language. We're only halfway done with the New Testament. Got a little bit of work left to do. <laughs> so we're going back. But anyway, started translating the Bible right there and eventually got enough translated where we could start teaching um, the message, the over, an overview of the Bible for the first time in 2005. Started with Genesis and taught through it all the found foundational truths, who God is and Adam and Eve and where sin came from and Noah and just on into uh, children of Israel and the law and how as hard as we try, we cannot meet God's standard of holiness. We need a redeemer. So we kept teaching until we eventually got to the life of Christ and eventually taught the death, burial and resurrection and praise the Lord, you have brothers and sisters in Christ out there in the jungle. Isn't that great? Yes. Praise the Lord. Thank you for being part of that from the very beginning, from the foundational days. Now, that's the nice story, and that's the abbreviated short story. I want to fill in a little bit of the trouble. Now, some of you, of course, have been here, and you've already heard this story, so it may not be new to you, somebody, uh, to, to some of you, but we're going into new ground here, so just hold on a second. We... Talked to these people about the Lord. A group responded and accepted the Lord, but it was a small group, maybe 10. We were hoping for the whole village, but we were, were happy and content that the Lord gave us 10. Well, there was three of these young men that became impassioned for the Lord. And that was part of my title for this morning's message was God, Godly Passion. or God has impassioned some of these young men. They were looking around realizing that the majority of the village and the majority of the tribe still isn't getting the concepts of the gospel message. And the Lord was putting a burden on their hearts to teach and reteach the messages that we had been teaching them. So we're taking the lessons, taking the scripture that were translated, and they've been teaching in their huts, in their houses in the evening. And it's been a beautiful thing. But that wasn't the whole story. There was some hardship. Isn't that how it is? If you step out and do something, respond to the Lord's invitation to join Him in, uh, in some, something that he asks you to do. His spreading his glory through the whole world. Whether it's here in Prescott or in the other side of the world. Is it easy? Is it ever going to be easy? 
there's two people that know that there's going to be challenges, right? One of our challenges was this guy right here, Tawadamofi. Now, when he heard, I'm backing up, when he heard that we were getting ready to teach the Bible, starting in June there of 2005, he decided that he wanted to start an animism class, a spirit class, an ancestral class. So he called all the young men of the village away from where we were living there, where we built our house and the airstrip and all that, called them away to a place, a different location in the jungle, had them out there. They built a big spirit house. He wanted to teach them the ways of the ancestors and he promised them eternal life. Not in heaven, but here on earth. If they would just follow the ways of the ancestors, they would do everything right, then they would never get sick and never die. That's what he was promising them. So all these young men went out there, they helped them build this spirit house and they were there with him and a lot of people never heard the gospel message that we were presenting. Or they would be with him and then come short for a short time, listen to a few of our messages, our six month long presentation of the gospel and then go back to him. So they missed the foundational concepts of the Bible. But then there was another problem too. There was another fellow... His name is Sam, Samson, of all things, a self-appointed prophet. And he came, he rose up and he says, guys, a bunch of you, uh, he appointed some people to beat their drums out on the airstrip that we'd made. He told them, if you beat your drums from morning till night, it will harmonize all the spirits. They're animistic, so they think there's evil spirits that need to be appeased and manipulated. There's good spirits that need to be, well, they offer blood sacrifices, all kinds of sacrifices to him. He said, if we do everything right, if we beat our drums from morning till night, we're going to harmonize all the spirits, including the God spirit, the one the missionary is going to tell you about. Beat your drums out there in the airport uh, airstrip, and then we're going to get rich. So these guys are out in the airstrip beating their drums from morning till night. It went, they went through a week and then another week of morning till night beating their drums. Then a, a third week, fourth week, you know, went through the first month, the second month. The, for three months, they beat their air, uh, drums out in the airstrip, hoping to get rich. Now, how do you suppose that turned out for them? <laughs> there was some disappointment involved. There was that problem, but then another one. The enemies of the Hewa. Now, there's people that are tribal people living out in the jungle. They're always at warfare with each other. And their most embittered enemies are the Paila group so the pilot group started moving in and they were stronger and started dominating the hay where they brought their guns in and they were holding their guns up making ridiculous demands give us money give us pigs if you don't we're going to kill you and there was this tenseness so that by the time we had finished presenting the gospel and we had this these few believers to disciple there it was so hard for them to focus because they're worried for their lives they're thinking they're they're uh, Time was consumed with how to keep the enemies at bay, keep them from hurting. They knew their threats weren't idle because of the violence of those people group. So that was another problem. So another, another problem that we ran into as we were going through this process was death didn't stop. The witch doctor was teaching them that they would have eternal life. Some thought that we had the secret to eternal life. They thought that Caucasians never die. Suppose that's true? <laughs> somehow a rumor got floating through the jungle that Caucasians never get sick and die. And so we were going to tell them when we were presenting the Bible, we were going to tell them the story of how to live forever. So the witch doctor was saying it. They thought we were saying it, which of course we weren't. But some people did die. Susan started a medical clinic and our coworker did, Keith. And they did an excellent job of saving lives. So many lives were saved, but we couldn't save all the lives. And so some died. There's a lady here that died in childbirth and her husband is at the head of the casket. When this happened, 
the village leaders got together and they they did they defaulted back to their ancestral way of thinking they said sickness and death has found us again sickness and death from evil spirits the evil they they were convinced the evil spirits were living in some women and children and they decided those women those children had to be killed in order to stop sickness and death from catching someone else so they went on murder raids and they killed one lady and her daughter or and then another lady and her child and then another lady and then some boys and it went on they reverted back to their ancestral ways that they've been doing forever and it was mortifying it was ridiculous we were so heartbroken for our people wanting this gospel to make a difference knowing that it was making a difference in some lives but looking around in helplessness for the lives around us praying that God would grab the hearts of other people and then everything just built and built and built that tension and problems built until my friend Thomas here was killed in my front yard and all war just broke out war broke out in Hewa and New Tribes Mission their leadership said hey it's not safe for you or your family there you need to come out to town and so we were evacuated and then our heart is broken in a new way because there's believers out there in the jungle but there's so much conflict so much trouble that we can't live with them it's not safe to be there and we're crying out to the lord saying what what should we do how can we do this so i would leave my wife and children in the safety of town rented a house there i would fly in spend some time with the new believers trying to work on discipleship and didn't know how to make it work and time went on years were going on where we couldn't live with them and we're asking god for a solution asking him for how we could move forward with this group of baby believers and eventually to make a long story short the lord transplanted us to a different village the village of kulufundu and there we did the same thing started teach, taught a group how to read and write in their own language and then taught the message of the bible but this time i had new guinea coworkers huh hewa coworkers that were joined with me so we were co-teaching the message of the bible and it was a beautiful thing the village surrounded yanis and ken and us and just were listening and intent on every word and this time i could tell that they were getting it they weren't they didn't have these expectations of living forever or getting rich or whatever their expectations were they were listening to the message of the bible and it took took root in that and fado came up to me fado the one that you just uh, saw in that video there fado said this is us we are the village of jesus the jesus people we're going to follow his trail. Isn't that awesome? Praise the Lord. Thank you. The Lord is working in hearts as you're praying and thank you for being part of this venture. So this is what we were seeing as we were going around the that, that village of Kulafundu as we were living there and eventually built a house there is this kind of thing. People gathered around day and night studying the word in their huts at night, having Bible studies during the daytime, making sure everybody knew how to read so they could do this, read the Bible. It was exciting. They built a little church and over time we realized, we realized the Lord confirmed in our heart that this is where we needed to stay with this people group. And so we looked around trying to decide where to live and down in this valley, there was a little bit of flat land and so we decided to move down there and build an airstrip. because the helicopter when we wanted to come in or go out the helicopter cost $2500 each way 2500 to bring us into the tribe and when we needed to go out 2500 that's a $5000 round trip for those of you that are good at math that's a lot of money and we didn't have it so we were like oh lord help us so we moved the whole village down to this uh 
to this flat ground and the boys, the village boys were all excited, built new, uh, cut down trees in order to plant new gardens and build their houses. And the Lord provided a team that came and helped me build a little house down there. Only 400 square feet, but it's plenty adequate. And then Fado built his house right next door. And they built their houses, the village built their houses all around us. So praise the Lord for that. Once we got our houses built and, and uh, we were able to start uh, turning, uh, turning our attention to the airstrip. Building an airstrip so an airplane could land. And I told them, don't cut down those trees because I don't, we don't have a way to get rid of the stumps. We don't have a bulldozer or a, or a backhoe, any way to get rid of stumps here. And so instead, we dug underneath all these trees. Dug all the way around the trees, cut all the roots, and eventually the tree fell over with the root ball attached. And that gave us the way to get rid. I just knew somebody's going to get hurt. But the Lord kept us safe, praise the Lord, through that whole venture. Had to burn up all the non-usable, the uh, uh, jungle rubbish there, <laughs> jungle rubble. And in that process, the Lord gave us some new co-workers. We're very grateful for that. John and Jesse George. And uh, right now, they're still in language studies. But this weekend, right now, this weekend, there's a consultant reviewing their progress. And so far, they've been making excellent progress. And they're hoping to be ready to join us in teaching in January. Praise the Lord for that. <laughs> Feeling very overwhelmed being by ourselves after we lost our original co-workers and very grateful for new co-workers. Of course, we had to build their house and then it's fun. It's fun to see him interacting and making friends and learning to love the Hewa people. It's been a beautiful transition. So as soon as they came in and their house was built, then we turned our attention to leveling this ground. The Lord gave us this little tractor. Barely bigger than a garden tractor. It's not that big and it doesn't have a backhoe, you know, attached to it or even a bucket. But it was, the Lord did some miracles to this little tractor. We drove it from morning till night and there were some obstacles. It kept raining. <laughs> Imagine that, living in the rain, uh, rainforest, huh? It kept raining. We ran into trouble there, but the Lord allowed us to finish that. And this last two years, we were able to even put a fence around it thanks to a gifts from a lot of people but samaritan's purse who we were just talking about operation christmas child paid for this fence four thousand five hundred uh, feet of fencing and that's what it looks like today now we finally have a place to live and a people group to work with and we're excited that it's a beautiful place where people's hearts are in tune with the lord and teaching so it's fun to have an airplane land there even mission aviation fellowship has their airplanes land there as well as new tribes well, the believers, they wanted to do something to try to reach out to the other villages that are around us, other Hewa villages. The government thinks there's like maybe as many as 6,000 Hewa people, but they're spread out over 60 miles, all in little hamlets of like 45 or 50 or whatever people, these little villages all over. So our village says, what can we do? So they decided to have a grand opening of our airstrip so that they could invite everybody from all these other locations to come and participate. They told the other villages, bring pigs, bring food. We're going to have a huge feast. And so all kinds of food started arriving and they got it all ready to, to uh, cook in a ground oven. 14 pigs. That's the biggest ground oven I've ever seen. Maybe some of you have been to Hawaii and seen a ground oven but nothing like this, I got to tell you. It was 50 feet long. They heated up all these rocks and then, uh, of course, put all the food, the vegetables and meat there and the rocks, covered them with the hot rocks and allowed them to bake. And it was just a neat time of being able to spend time with Haywas that are on these other, from these other villages that we wouldn't see very often. And the, uh, 
The believers said, hey, we need to make use of this opportunity. They're all sleeping in our houses. We need to make sure that somebody is teaching the Bible in every house for every night of this party. It was really cool because it was Hewa inspired and Hewa driven. It was awesome. When everybody was together there and after we had eaten the meal, then there's some 400 people, I think. Then we gathered everybody together and showed them the Jesus film. It is always fun to show the Jesus film because they love it. They love seeing what Jesus did. So that was a huge event from these last few years. Our co-workers went on furlough there for a year furlough. So then we were alone again in the tribe uh, spending time and McKenna having fun and re, uh, with her village friends there. But some of the huge highlights, one of the huge highlights is this, this passion for the word that's been growing, slowly growing and developing over these last 16 years. When I was back at uh, Fiawana there at the original location, I told you God gave us uh, three young men that had a beautiful passion for him. It was so exciting to see that. When we moved to Kulafundu, there was three more that really became passionate for this idea of learning, absorbing, and teaching the Word of God. When we moved to Yifki, where we're at now, and in these last two years, we've, uh, as I finished translating a book, like uh, for instance, in this case, it was 1 Timothy, I got 1 Timothy translated, so we're ready to teach it, and so I'm telling these six guys, we've been talking about this idea of, of bringing in, discipling new young men um, look for, each of you look for at least one young man that you can bring with you and let's raise him up as, uh, give him confidence in teaching the word of God. We'll join together with him and team teach. And so each of these six guys got excited about the idea. I was thinking if there's six plus six more, that'll be 12. Maybe there won't be that many. Maybe we'll still be able to meet in my office. But instead, this is what I saw. When we started teaching First Timothy, there was 20 young men that said, we want to be part of this. We want to learn the word in order to teach it to others. So the Lord has blessed us with 20, at least 20 men that are just passionate about the Lord. And it's a beautiful thing because now we're team teaching, but it's in groups. Take turns team teaching through the books that we've been teaching this last two years. We're like Galatians and, and 1 Corinthians from beginning to end and Philippians. It's been awesome to have these passionate people teaching to the church and the church full so that was one awesome thing, passion for the word. Another is learning fever. Now, I've never experienced this before. It was brand new and exciting. It was awesome to see. We're uh, trying to help educate the group. And so we have, uh, Susan has developed this class that she oversees, teaching people how to read and write in their own language. But then she went beyond that and had taught a group how to read and write in the pidgin language. That's the language of town. It's to help enculturate them, like help them be able to communicate with town and get services government services that kind of thing then she decided you know what in order to attract a school teacher a government school teacher i'm going to start them in english because the government likes that they like the idea so she started teaching simple things colors numbers these kind of things um telling time a clock all these kind of things she started an education program and it was going good but it was bursting at the seams and many students were coming and wanting more and more. And so she was having some teach some classes. She ended up with, I think it was four different classes going on where either she's teaching or there's others that are helping her teach all these different subjects. She had huge range from elderly all the way down to this girl who was two years old when she started. I think she's three now. She can say her colors in English. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. McKenna got in on the action helping 
helping with class. And it was just, this last two years have been amazing because people are keyed into the word and they're excited about learning. And that's an awesome place to be, huh? It's a beautiful village to live in to see this kind of excitement and passion. Another fun thing that happened in the last two years was Michaela, our daughter, who's in the pre-med program, came to visit us so that she could work side by side with a missionary doctor in town and also spend some time with us in the tribe. What a treat that was. And you, Cornerstone, were part of helping her financially be able to come. What a blessing that was. So she came, spent some time with us, and uh, which is a blessing for her, for us, and also for the Hewa girls. At one point, she, was, she decided, you know what, I'd like to help do a, teach a purity class. She's not fluent in the Hewa language. She's fluent in the town language, but not in the Hewa language. So she had Susan help her, and they taught a purity class for all the girls. And then that inspired the boys to want the same thing. So we had a purity class for the boys. And that was really neat, a huge benefit of her being there that summer. Thank you. (laughs) So then, before she arrived, before Michaela arrived, and then while she was there, we were hearing stories from town of another problem. Uh, measles. Now, most of us here in the States get injections. We get, uh, so we don't contract measles or pass it from one person to another. But it's not that case in Papua New Guinea. So we heard that there was measles coming through towns, and then it was a closer town and a closer town, and then it was in the jungle. And we had sent requests out to the government saying, can you help us? We need like a whole bunch of vaccinations. And so the government, we were, we were communicating, uh, doing the best we could to get vaccinations. And when they finally arrived, we uh, had invited everybody from all these neighboring villages to come and ho- we were holding this vaccination clinic or a measles vaccination clinic and it was going good except it was too late. <laughs> By the time the vaccinations arrived, measles had already made it and there was 50 people in the first week, in the first weeks, August, that were very ill from measles. And so everything had to stop. Teaching program, translation, everything. We put our full-time attention into this medical thing of trying to save lives there's babies on our doorstep all day long and some of them just barely barely made it like this lady here i don't know if you can see in the picture there's an iv bag hanging up at the right hand side of the picture there and susan was able to save several lives that way okay so nobody died this is a miracle in itself nobody died of the measles in our village even though we got the the injections too late nobody died praise the lord But in the villages around us, (laughs) thank you, I love that. In the villages around us, they weren't so lucky. There's a lot of people that died of of measles. So what did they do? The villagers that haven't trusted in God, they haven't heard, some of them haven't heard the message. Some have just rejected the message of the gospel. What did they do? They default back to their ancestral ideas, concepts. And so they said, why are we getting eaten by evil spirits? We've got to find these evil spirits and we've got to kill them. Who are they talking about? They're talking about ladies and children who they think have evil spirits in them. So this village where we had originally lived and worked, they got a, whole, they got a group of men together and they started talking and they decided that there is 10, 10 guilty women in their village. Unbelievable. When I heard that, my heart is just ripped out. Like, how can they do that? Once they, once they point a finger at somebody and say, that person is a spirit-possessed person, it's just a lady or a child. Once they do that, they can never get rid of that. They will be haunted by that accusation for the rest of their life. So I was frustrated going, what do we do? That village invited this lady in the middle here 
Lachimon, they invited her to come and they, they said to her, we will give you money, we will give you gifts, all kinds of gifts, if you tell us which of these ten is actually causing the death from measles. So she cooperated. She was afraid for her life because she also is a targeted person. She's trying to save her life. And so she looked at those ten and she picked four of them and said, these are the four that have been causing sickness and death and measles deaths here in the village. Our hearts were ripped out when I heard this. And so I was just, of course, on our knees. We were on our knees praying and we sent out words saying, pray, pray that God will do something. Otherwise, there's no chance for these four ladies and their children and grandchildren. And uh, I sent out emails, lots of emails, trying to find somebody that could help us. And the Lord led us to this man here, a Lutheran missionary who lives in town. See, I'm in the jungle. I can't communicate with police or any of that kind of stuff. I'm kind of stuck in town. But he had a police friend, the commander, the high, second highest commander in our province, Commander Neely. They, they're kind of, they have a friendship going on. And so he talked to him and they were able to come up with enough money to charter an airplane to go to Fiawana. They came and picked me up. And some of the believers from Yifki, we all flew to Fiawana, to the village there. We got everybody together, the ones that were accused. One was Mifila here and her children. One was Kondas and her children, her grandchildren. And then one was Susanna here and her two daughters. And then there's another one I didn't get a picture of. She didn't show up. She's too scared to go. But we gathered everybody together, all the young, all the people. And I really, really did my best to say, guys, stop following the lies of the ancestors. That is not, it is not women in supposed possession that causes sickness and death. That is not the cause of sickness and death. And we talked about, you know, where sin comes from in the whole medical side, you know, germs and that kind of thing. It is not from these ladies. So I did my very best. And then Commander Neely did his very best. He told them, hey, guys, this has got to stop. That's the end of it. You guys used to kill each other all the time. That's what you've always done. But that's, that's the end. No more murders. If you... Kill anybody. We're coming here and hauling groups of you off to jail. If you talk about it or take somebody to court saying that they're guilty of causing sickness and death, we're going to come in and haul you off to jail. And so he presented a real strong, just the best we could do. And so we went home and I went back to the village and we were praying, God, rescue these ladies. We don't know what to do for them. But four months later, four months later in the month of May, Mifila was murdered. That Paila group, that enemy tribe, came into Fiawana. It wasn't the Fiona people themselves. Maybe there were some that were cooperating, but that other group came in and killed Mifila. That's this year, this May. And that wasn't the end of it. There was another and then another. There's been three since January that I know of. So she was killed and it just broke our hearts and we're doing the best we can and we're communicating with this policeman saying, come. And he, he uh, responded saying, yeah, he was going to work on it. They were looking for the money, trying to raise enough money to charter an airplane so he could come in with some policemen, haul some people off to jail. They had raised a little bit of money, not enough, not quite enough. And then the government rerouted those funds and he wasn't able to come. The policemen weren't able to, to deal with it and our hearts again are broke for these people going, what are we supposed to do to save lives? There's, as I see it, there's only two solutions. There's the government has to come down really hard on this kind of behavior. But that, of course, just drives it underground, right? That's not the permanent solution. There is only one real solution. And what is it? It's Jesus. We know this answer and we have got to speak this answer. And guys, thank you for being with us from the very beginning. 
We're an extension of Cornerstone right here. You are funding this endeavor. You are praying for miracles in hearts. Thank you. And we know that hearts are being changed in this process. But so this year, recently, while we were there, families started coming to us saying, they're after me. They're after us. Help us. What can you do for us? Help us, help us, help us, save us. We started getting request after request. Now we have evacuated a few Ladies, when they've come to us, or children, when they've come to us, we've done our best to evacuate them. But it's hard to find families to adopt people like this. It's hard to find places that will adopt them into safety that are outside of this, outside of this ring of just wrong thinking, right? But the Lord did provide a place for this family right here, Nellison and his two wives. He provided a village that had believers in it. These believers said, we will adopt that family. So we were able to arrange for an airplane to come and adopt, uh, take out that family, send them to a safety, and also this boy right here, Ephraim, took him to safety. And, of course, they're so emotional because the villagers know that they'll never see these people again. They're sending them off, and we'll never see them again. And yet they're so happy and so relieved that they won't be hunted down anymore. And so there's tears and joy, and I better hurry up. So that wasn't the only family. There's another family that came to us recently this year. Um, uh, coming to us, the man said, they're going to kill my wife. Please help us evacuate us. And we were able to arrange an airplane flight for him or his wife and children. And they're so relieved to be able to get out of there. So this is like a side ministry that you guys are involved in is saving the lives of these women and children that are accused. Then there was another man, his wife and seven children, of all things. But the Lord provided a safe place, believers that adopted these people outside of their their nightmare, and they're so happy as they're leaving. They're just so relieved um, because we're saving their lives. There's tears as we know that we'll never see them again from the loved ones. But then it doesn't end there, right? There's still other people that have been pointed at. Kafie, this man here, very unusual to uh, accuse a man, and another lady. And who are they going to accuse next? Is this ever going to finish? Are we ever going to be able to turn this huge? ship around like the titanic it's taken forever to turn it around and our hearts are torn as we're watching this process happen our raiders going to come screaming into our village and take out another life at any time we feel powerless except that you're with us in this endeavor on your knees asking god to save lives to turn to change people's ways of thinking so that they'll surrender to their creator so that was the bad story right the good story is there are people who are responding. Yanis is one of those that I wish I could introduce you to. I wish you could meet him. He's got a beautiful passion for the Lord. He's Before when we first got to Hewa and were investigating, we realized that every single man, no exception that I knew, no exception that I ever saw, every single man took part in these murder raids. But now there's young men like Yanis right here who have never murdered anyone. How's that? <laughs> Praise the Lord. That's the power of the gospel. It's taking time, but it is happening. There's hunger for the word there. We're excited to return and keep teaching, keep translating, because God is doing beautiful things there. And I have one more thing. I only have a few minutes, a few uh, minutes left to tell you. But here at the, the, at the end, I wanted to tell you this story too. Is that of those 20, that God has impassioned for his word, some of them have just been really concerned for these other villages, like I've been talking about. But Gibson here and Amias, his wife, they were one of the first couple that believed in Christ together and have grown in their faith beautifully. 
they said, we want to be part of taking the message of the Bible to a, a new Hewa village. Now, it's the village of Yano. They've been asking for missionaries for years and years and years. Years, years, over 20 years. And missionaries, there's never been somebody from the States that's gone to that village. It's a different dialect from what we speak. It's a different dialect than this translation right here. But uh, Gibson and his wife are so concerned about them. They're Hewa people with a different dialect, but they're relatives. They're so concerned about them that they're like, we can't wait for a missionary to come. We've got to go and live with them. So they moved over there recently. Right before I came here to the States, right before we got on the airplane in July, right? I hiked down to Yano and took these pictures. Here's Gibson teaching at the blackboard here, teaching them how to read and write. Why? Because he wants to teach them the message of the Bible for the first time. Isn't that awesome? Praise the Lord. <laughs> Gibson and his wife, they have children, and then they are their first Hewa missionary family that are going to a different village. And then two young men joined them also, Upe and Alison, and so they're with them together. And I have heard that since I left, this class is now finished. They now have, in the village of Yano, they have their first literates, boys and girls, or men and women, that can read and write in their own language. Praise the Lord. They're waiting just get a little bit of a break right now, getting ready to start teaching in Genesis so they can teach an overview of the Bible. This is exciting. But, guys, we can't just think the story's over. The enemy is not going to loosen his grasp on these people, is he? There's people, when I was there, I talked to this guy right here because he is one of those bullies with a gun that's threatening the Yano people saying, give money right now or I'll kill somebody. He is threatening. The people that are trying to listen to the gospel, he is bringing threats and he's got brothers and cousins that are backing it up. Don't, don't quit praying for the Hewa people. This is really a new endeavor. It's taken 16 years to get to this part, but it's still at the beginning stages of the gospel. The gospel has got to spread to, from village to village to village. So please continue praying that the word would go forward, that people would believe it, that they would quit listening to lies. And then recently some surveys have been done. Some men have gone all through Hewa territory trying to figure this out. Before we thought Hewa was one language group. As I've lived there, I realized, oh, there's some major dialect differences where I can't communicate with these people. There's like, like I said, around 6,000 the government thinks that are out there. But there's, I'm really thinking there's only about 1,000 that know this dialect that will be able to read this Bible. Recently, the survey was done. A conclusion was drawn and they decided, these people decided that we need two more mission families, missionary families, in order to get the word of God in the dialects of all these people. This is crazy. We need two more um, teams to go out there. So pray. Would you pray that? That the Lord will raise up new workers to go across that river to the people on the other side. To people who have such a different dialect. So here's some prayer requests in the last three minutes. John and Jesse, pray for them. That they would finish learning this um, language to the fluency level. That they can teach the word of God and disciple. That would be awesome to have their help and then pray that faith in Jesus will spread all over these mountains. Without miracles in their hearts, nothing's going to happen. It will stay the same as it's been century after century. So pray faith in Jesus will spread. Pray for the lives of these women and children. There's all these women and children in fear of their lives. And then the final prayer request is this. That you'd make this the heartbeat of your prayer. As you meet and pray that you would never forget this idea. Pray the Lord of the harvest to raise up workers for his harvest field. From here, from Cornerstone, 
Of course, there's Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the world, right? Every part of the world. Bless you for the work you're doing here. Don't forget the rest of the world. Bless you for what you're doing in Africa. Just continue to pray that God would raise up workers to spread all over this globe from here, from Cornerstone. And I know God will do it. It is such a joy to be able to share our story with you. Um, Be sure and talk to Susan afterwards. I just have a minute left. And all I want to say is, uh, all I just want to finish it with is just thank you. Thank you for being part of this effort, taking the message of the cross to the Hewa people in Papua New Guinea. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com. Thank you.